0: rcr with paul brennan reality check radio time for our legal hub it's wednesday morning here at reality check radio katie ashby coppins and nick kearney join me again good to see you again guys am i allowed to say guys
1: good morning paul is,
0: is that okay
1: <laughs> i'm fine with it
0: yeah you yeah. would be nick of course i mean 100 you know.
2: yeah.
0: yeah all right good to see you again and hear from you again and um On the menu this morning, update on international vaccine passes, mask exemptions, rushed emergency bills, and the Brightline test and renting. Let's start with the update on international vaccine passes. We've talked about this before, I think, and we've uh, had interviews with eminent people on this program discussing this. So Katie, do you want to kick it off with, um, it says update, what's the update?
1: Uh, No trouble. Uh, Thanks, Paul. Last week we just talked uh, about the uh, international vaccine passes and uh, there was a few things I said that I would follow up on. um, And that was really about timing um, and um, whether or not this type of thing would be compulsory. And uh, look, timing-wise, it looks like it's set um, or or, or is moving towards um, happening uh, in 2024. Uh, infrastructure appears to be going uh uh going into place. Um it will be dealing with the uh uh, authentic, uh authentication of health certificates um and they will be verified by the authenticity. And that's really uh what we're looking at. So um Apparently, it is uh, something that people can or or countries will voluntarily um, uh, consent to, uh, but we know what that will probably look like. And I anticipate that it will be a very real reality for us in the future, um, being required to travel uh, with uh, vaccine passes um, that are are verified. Uh, If you are interested in exploring how to... um, or what you can do to uh, move away from this is there is um, the chance to attend or look at the website exitwho.com, and that's very useful for information. But uh, I think it's something we all need to be speaking about. Uh, These vaccines um, or future vaccines aren't over, uh, and I think we all need to be very openly discussing uh, the fact that our future of travel could be thwarted again.
0: Two words jumped out. Infrastructure. When you said the infrastructure word, is that relating to the infrastructure to operate the system, like the digital infrastructure? And you've mentioned authentication, that sort of things. that we're talking about.
1: Correct. The smart boxes that you go through if you're traveling between, say, Australia and New Zealand, um, all feeding into the um, digital uh, or, or the Um, check-in facilities that we have available now and uh, making sure that it's more uniform across the world so that uh, they're able to uh, implement uh, these checks and reviews really easily and straightforward as people pass through airports, ports and the like.
0: And if that's operating as we think it will, if you um, don't have your pass, you're not going through the door, right? That's it. You're not on the plane. It won't happen.
1: If you don't have the right stamps in your pass or have not been able to verify your immunity, um, it would seem that you may be impacted um, or restricted from traveling. Uh, but again, we don't really know all that much of, will it be specifically when the WHO have announced a pandemic, will it be you know, anything going forward, It's just not clear because this is all being done really behind shut doors.
0: Well, if you build the infrastructure, you probably want to use it. You don't want it to sit there and rot. Machinery needs to be used. When you say verify immunity, that can only be one thing. It's not natural immunity, is it?
1: Uh, look,
0: well maybe it is. I, I don't
1: know. It, it could be. um I know that there was a denial of natural immunity um during covid, but certainly we see with measles um that proving uh, natural you know, proof of natural immunity or antibodies is is certainly accepted um uh, immunity to measles and schools certainly accept um, natural antibodies for for that. Uh, so it is open. My thoughts, though, is uh, natural immunity isn't a money maker, um, and so I can't imagine that, um, that 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 natural immunity will be recognised as uh, well as it possibly should be as the perhaps better immunity.
0: Yeah. Um, more effective ha- immunity. Well, as we know, um, but having to report your 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 own personal you know, details in this way every time is, I mean, just a hit on dignity.
1: Yeah. And look, um, I I just, it's another one of those things that has been thrown out the window um, with, with all of these other fundamental legal principles, um, the right to privacy around your medical information. And I was standing in a line to a, at an airport not long ago and the, uh, woman that was checking everyone and was bellowing at the top of her lungs like a fishwife. Make sure you anyone going to Singapore make sure you've got your vaccine passes. And you're thinking to yourself, "Goodness gracious, you know, <laughs> what else do they want to know?" Yeah, um, it's it's there. It, there really is no privacy around um, any of this anymore. Um, so,
0: the other word was voluntary. Is that voluntary that a government? volunteers to do it, or it's people volunteer to do it?
1: It would appear to be the government's um, uh, choosing to exit the programme. So uh, unless they actively exit the programme, they could potentially be stuck with it. Um, But again, it's really quite unclear what's what's happening in the WHO.
0: You'd expect a a referendum-level type of thing for that, wouldn't you?
1: You should. And that would not be unreasonable to uh, suggest a referendum, the chance for people to have their say. Uh, but it really is a case of if you don't talk about it and the country doesn't choose to exit from it, uh, then it could could just be one of those things that slides through and then we're we're stuck with it. Uh, the other thing that's not clear is what will happen to citizens and whether or not they will be able to return home uh, or to their country of citizenship uh, without needing to fulfill uh, these uh, potential requirements to be able to travel.
0: So, next year, I think they're talking about this time next year, aren't they? May for sort of they're, end game.
1: All I've got is next year, um, and you, you've probably Spoken to um, quite a few more people that know more details about it than I do, but all, all I'm aware is next year and the infrastructure um, project around this is 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 uh, well advanced um, and uh, certainly appears to be implemented on the basis that uh, it will be implemented.
0: Right, and and just back to referendums. Why have a referendum for something no one knows about or doesn't want? Well, I, I mean, that would just be an invented thing anyway, wouldn't it?
1: That's correct. And I do, yeah, I mean, it, it's perhaps the reason why it hasn't been getting any public attention. Uh, but, you know, I was sitting down at a cafe the other day talking to somebody, and they said, Oh, that's all in the past now. And they were shocked, surprised, and most concerned that uh, there's a further noise about uh, future requirements. Um, to travel and it might might extend beyond travel
0: So what do we do Nick what would you do in the face of this would you kiss your travelling days goodbye or would you succumb
2: uh, Really good question because uh, during all the, you know, the COVID stuff and the mandates there um, I was prepared to kiss my travelling days goodbye there um, much to the you know, annoyance of family members and what have you Um I, I, you know, I was almost, well, I, I wanted my life back. I, and sadly, I, I, I took the vaccine at the end of the day, but um, I, I, I left it to the very last uh, second, day, hour, sort of thing. Um, I wanted, you know, I was promised by Miss Ardern I'd get my life back. I, I could go back to the pool and the gym, which I belonged to, wouldn't let me in. I, I, you know, could go to the cafes and other places and libraries that I wanted to, to you know, visit. Um,
0: get your hair done.
2: Get, get, me, get my hair done. Uh, just, you know, return to inverted commas of normal life. So, um, you know, she held the gun to my head and I quivered, but um, I won't be doing that again. Um, and I can categorically say that. Um, so, yeah, yeah I'm, I'm a free choice sort of person. That It's a very simple concept, you know what I mean? And um, give me the information, doesn't matter if it's health or whatever else, and just let me make my own mind up. You know, I mean, I, I'm, I don't need um, a whole variety of, Bureaucrats at world health level or someone else telling me what's what's going on I mean I've had a sick day at work in seven years, right? so yeah. you know I, I I know enough about diet nutrition and everything. Uh, I know where to put in my body um you know I know um you know I know um, how to look after my body and, and what have you, and I don't need some anonymous person at the world health World Health Organization or anybody else. Telling me I need this injection to make myself better because I don't. And so, uh, so so I would, I uh, yeah, it would.
0: Because they're going to keep ramping it up. It's not what you've had already. It's you've got to keep current. That, that'll that be the thing, right? With everything. And so, you know.
2: Well, well, of course. I mean, let just look at the COVID. Uh, the COVID, it, we've got the, how do you pronounce it? Bivalent booster now or something, you know? Bivalent, Bivalent booster. And it'll be in, uh, some other sort of booster thing or, or something, you know? and 100%. I mean, you know, the, as um, as one of you just mentioned, Katie, I think about have being that there's um, you, big pharma, big pharma has no interest at all in making sure we're healthy. Okay. It is it is that simple. If we were all healthy um, and we didn't need their pills and their medicines and their vaccines, they wouldn't have a business, right, and that, that they just wouldn't. So the incentive for big pharma, are sadly, and this is how businesses work, they work on people's incentives and demand, uh, the incentive for Big Pharma is to make people sick so they can keep feeding them drugs so that they can make more money. Uh, you know, they have Big Pharma, particularly in America, for God knows how many years, 50, 60, 70, whatever, um, you know, have filled American people full of all sorts of drugs um, on, the, on the promise and the premise that, you know, you just take these drugs um, and you'll, you'll start feeling better and all it's done is, I think, made America even more sick to be honest um massive 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 industry of course over there uh, and, and I think you know Katie's did right there's, there's no money in actually um promoting uh healthy lifestyles and uh you know um I guess natural immunity or just a, a diet and um you know a, a nutritional party we like that um that'll take care of most of the stuff you know hmm
1: I don't want people to feel uh, down in the dumps. There is things that you can do now. And so talk to your neighbours about it, talk to your friends about it, let them know. They probably don't even know that this is um, on the radar. And it is important to talk about it. We've talked about things recently that people are opening up to discussions a lot more um, than what they were saying you Know 2020 2021. So, have those discussions. Um, rally your members of parliament, let them know that you're really not happy about this. You know, the members of parliament might not even know about
0: I got a feeling that's um, that going on. Many of them don't actually.
1: Correct. Email them, send them an email, let them know. Um, they are duty bound. To hear their constituents, and uh, it can be really powerful, um, and encourage them to exit the who, or to at least become aware that this could be a potential impact on our country. And if um, tourism is a huge export for New Zealand, then you know this could greatly impact our tourism uh, if you know people are refusing not to travel again because they've that they they figured out they were duped last time they're not prepared to do it again because people are not going to let themselves be um, put through these um, through these procedures
0: uh, but on the other hand, it could be a great incentive to go with it because if you think you're going to be deprived of inbound tourists because you're not playing the game or not meeting the perception of overseas people have being persuaded in a particular way, that's an incentive to go with it
1: so. I think so but I do perceive that New Zealand and Australia suffered um suffered very badly given right. their response to um covid and their very hard line response to covid uh, you know <laughs> New Zealand and Australia were known probably as as um some of the strictest um toughest
0: P- punching above our weight again i see
1: yeah huge <laughs> achievement
0: you just reminded me, Nick, when you said you hadn't had anything for seven years, same same with me, except for the heart attack. Well, sure okay. it's the
2: last, sure it's the last one you have, right? So,
0: <laughs> I think it yeah. probably will be, <laughs> uh, either so, way.
2: So just, you know, I'm just thinking this from a, you know, um, I guess as much of a legal perspective as you can put on it. Uh, for example, if Australia signed up to it and New Zealand didn't, um, and they said, "Oh no, you need all these, you know, vaccine mandate, past things to come to Australia." Um, uh, New Zealand's—it uh, it doesn't affect New Zealand law at all. Okay, so because all that New Zealand's government can do and the bureaucrats here can do is lobby Australia to say, "Well, actually, you shouldn't be doing this," you know, and a bit like we've lobbied them for a long time to try and be, um, you know, citizens and get all the benefits which we we'll take, which were we'll given, you know, a, a couple of weeks back. Um, so if Australia wanted to do it, um, little old New Zealand would suffer greatly, but there's probably very little we could do about it, to be honest. And, and that goes for a lot of the other countries, um, you know, uh, Fiji or Thailand, whatever. Um, uh, you know, that's their own sovereign right to do that. that that's how they make their that, that's their own legal process and whatever. But we would – travellers from here would, would suffer a big time. But Katie's right. Uh, um, for New Zealand, uh, you know, we can actually – we can actually um, – run contrary to that and say, look, we're not, you know, we're actually open to the world, which we proclaim to want to be all the time. Uh, and that includes um, tourists. And we're not going to discriminate on, on any sort of medical ground. And if you want to come here as a tourist, um, that, that could be a huge opportunity for for New Zealand to actually say, well, we are, you know, we're not part of that model. And um, you can come here when you've got this, that, or, or any other vaccine is probably a good opportunity. Will our politicians... Uh, play well, that game. That's what I was thinking. Play that yeah. game, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, it took pretty pretty courageous, I think, government to do that.
0: Okay, let's move to mask exemptions. I thought I, I had heard the last of masks, but there it is. What's all that about?
1: Yeah, look, I think it's just really important, um, and, and I'm getting quite a few more uh, requests and inquiries about masks. Um, they are predominantly uh, required in uh, healthcare settings. uh, But there are quite a few things about exemptions that um, the medical profession aren't necessarily respecting. uh, And so I just thought it might be useful to touch on a few of those things now, um, because it seems that there is still quite a bit of confusion around masks uh, and exemptions. Um, Sure, go
0: for it. Yeah, go for
1: it. Under the masks order, um, which is currently in place and has been S- September 2022, uh, masks are required to be re- uh, worn in certain health uh, service premises um, if you're a visitor, a support person, or contractor. Um, and masks don't have to be worn if you're a patient, a worker, or whether you have or if you have a valid exemption. Uh, so that's really important. Um, and the interesting thing is is a valid exemption doesn't need to be a formal piece of paper or anything. It can simply be that um, you have a condition making it um, unsuitable for you to wear a mask. And so that really is self-governing.
0: However, I don't understand the one about patients.
1: Patients because not think, having to wear a mask?
0: Yeah, because you'd think that if you wanted to protect and I've been a patient, I've been in the hospital when all this is going on, and, yet yeah, no one had masks on. I didn't either. The staff did. But you'd think, you know, if anyone, uh, using their logic, if anyone needed protection, it would be them. So they're the ones who should be in the, in the PPE gear, let's say.
1: Um, I have to say that there is a lot of things that have been nonsensical about yeah, well, um, the public health response, and um, maybe there's an acknowledgement that, um, you know, the masks aren't suitable for uh, patients that are having difficulty breathing or or, or some such. Uh, look, I don't know. I can't begin to yeah, okay. understand or explain, explain that away. Um, but there are people and there are still available um, personalised mask exemptions. Um, they're from... Um the Ministry of Health, I think, is the entity that provides those. And those masks exemptions um, need to be respected by the healthcare facilities. Uh, and certainly even for visitors uh, who are required to wear masks, um, that their exemptions should still stand because the, they're specified in the order uh, and should be respected and protected. But we're finding in a lot of cases that they aren't and uh one such person had a situation where her son was poss- who was going in for surgery um, a couple of weeks ago, uh, his r- surgery was possibly going to be declined on the basis that his mother wasn't wearing a mask. Mm. So um, it's a bit crazy. It's very confused. Um, there is a great um, uh, resource for if you are needing to get access to um, a public uh, social. Um, health facility uh, on the Voices for Freedom uh, website under resources. I uh, welcome you to go and use that. It's a really good resource um, and is something that you can utilise to communicate with these uh, health services about accessing, ass- accessing and using their premises uh, without having to be uh, masked.
0: Okay. Handy to know. It is crazy, though, isn't it? I mean, it's just theatre, really. It's just like being in a play. <laughs>
1: Yeah and um you know that it's, it's surprising that those that have been medically trained um uh and, and should have a better understanding about immunity and the like um really have bought into this all so incredibly
0: You not wrong hard. with that. Yeah. Yeah like all the way bought the farm bought the bridge day try to sell them.
1: We'll yeah put it correct. That way.
0: All right. Okay. Well, that's um, that's good to know. Let's get on to rushed emergency bills. What are we talking about here? W- which bills? What's going on?
1: Uh, there was just an interesting point in the paper the other day, and I'll just bring it up. It was just an uh, indication of really how many um, bills uh, have been done rushed through under urgency. So, uh, in twenty eleven. Uh, Victoria University uh, of Wellington and the New Zealand uh, Foundation. I don't know which New Zealand Foundation that is, sorry, but they conducted research and found that between uh, 1987 uh, and 2010, the House of Representatives went into urgency or extraordinary urgency 230 times. Urgency was accorded to more than 1,600 bills Uh, meaning close to half the legislation was introduced under urgency. And, look, I just thought that that was quite incredible numbers. And, look, the period of time is 1987 to 2010. Uh, So, you know, if that research or um, review was conducted again uh, of more recent times, I think we would be finding um, that those numbers were, you know, the the numbers of bills that were passed under uh, uh, the urgency of COVID, uh, uh, we'll, we'll just take this number yep. off the charts.
0: Yeah, so it's a, a useful sort of tactic, a useful way of getting through stuff. Um, the thing is, is it necessary urgency? That's the question, isn't it? Well, I, or is I,
2: think, it- I, thought, I think it's actually moment, just, i just your words a bit there, Paul a useful way of getting through stuff. I think it's a useful way for government to get its programme implemented. That That's essentially without any, you know, um, public debate on what's going on. They've got an agenda, whatever government it might be, and uh, they can, you know, um, get it through PDQ without any of the public becoming aware of it for having a say or um, even knowing what's happening. So it really is just a, a way for... I, I think, you know, yeah, getting stuff done, of course, but particularly, um, you know, a, a government that is really keen on just pushing its agenda through, a right, white bang, away you go. I mean, I think, you know, what Katie was just talking about, 87, I'm just doing some maths in my head, 1987 to 2010 is 23 years, so 230 times, that's 10 times a year on average. Mm, um, mm. Yeah, and that is, I mean, you know, I don't know how many bills go through Parliament, but they don't sit, Parliament sits, what, um, Thirty weeks a year, or something, and you know, not even, not even money not even be that. So, um, the you know the government, Jesus, uh, it's it's extraordinary to think that uh, they're averaging um, ten pieces of legislation a year every year for twenty three years under urgency. Incredible. It'd be interesting
0: yeah. to see what the spread of those, uh, of that urgency covers too in terms of bills and, and laws and things like that, and if there's a pattern emerging out of that, whether they're the controversial ones that require that uh, avoiding you know the normal
1: scrutiny mm. well i think yeah absolutely but um it could you know if you're the person or the organization or group that's defining the urgency or saying that there is an urgency uh, and and then you know utilizing that to push your push your bills through then you know that that's certainly a technique that's no doubt used um just touching on the point that nick made um, the between the, in the 23 years, it was put into urgency or extraordinary urgency 230 times, and that meant that more than 1,600 bills, close to half the legislation during that 23-year period, was introduced under urgency. Wow. And then just taking that one step further and into more current times, between 2009 and 2010, 70% of all bills had at some stage been passed under urgency. Um, and the research prompted change where the 51st Parliament under national went into urgency 12 times between 2014 and 2017. And then between 2017 and uh, sorry 2020, the Labor-led coalition passed 18 motions of urgency. So we can see here that it's increasing. Creep. Creep. Well, not just creep, I think it's a tsunami. Um, (laughs) And under the guise of COVID, I think we saw um, bills being passed with, you know, uh, one or two politicians in the House. Um, And you were seeing things forced, well, not forced through, um, quickly. and
0: Taking the fast, the shortcut, the, the fast way, yeah
1: with very little debate um, and very little engagement um, from all members of parliament. So, you know, perhaps it's a technique and tool that's being uh, utilised, but it seems to be being misused.
2: We talked last week about the changes to the criminal um, law bill, I forget exactly the name of it, where transactions for cash of an amount of $10,000 uh, are we're, we're now going to be prohibited. Um, and... Uh, a, um, a barrister who specialises in the regulatory um, uh, work of this nature wrote an article for uh, interest.co.nz this week where uh, he wrote uh, in regard to the passing of that law. Uh, he wrote Despite positive intentions, the process adopted by Parliament was disappointing. A draft bill moving at pace in December, extremely short select committee consideration and industry consultation processes. Being bypassed altogether, which is often a recipe for poor uh, lawmaking. Uh, the few submitters who managed to engage in time raised reasonable questions about whether the transaction privacy uh, or Bill of Rights Act freedom were being unduly trampled upon. Oh, where have we heard that before? Hmm. Uh, and how this all fits with other stated aims like improving the problems around uh, debanking and financial exclusion. Answers to these. We're not readily forthcoming by the select committee. Uh, so there we go. That's just you know um, we don't uh, you know choose topics at random here on Legal Hub, and that's just you uh, know we, we chose that last week. And there, there's an independent barrister writing um, explaining how the poor lo- uh, how poor the process was in regards to the ten thousand dollar cash um, topic we talked about last week.
0: Now we're into the bright line test and renting. Um, I'm kind of aware of the bright line test. I don't know how renting attaches to that. Nick, tell us about that.
2: So um I'll just bring up the um little um, stuff here. Uh, the, we should all know, I suppose the listeners should know, the bright Line rules were um introduced um, by in fact by John Key's government, um you, such that, you know, if you owned a property that was not your main or family home, uh the initial term was two years. If you sold that property within two years of you buying it and you made a gain on the sale, then that gain was essentially uh, taxed, as, as capital gains tax. essentially. Um, you could take your expenses off um, and, you know, that would your a taxable gain or tax paid on that gain. Um, that two years was increased when labour came into five years, uh, and then it was increased again to ten years. And this is um, for properties that are not your family home, uh, in other words, investment properties, and they only relate to uh, residential property that don't apply, the Bright the Line rules do not apply to commercial property. Um, and uh, when, the, when the rules came in, they were um, relatively simple at the start. I mean, John, you know, uh, to his credit, I, I didn't particularly think that was a good idea, but uh, to his credit, the John Key government made it relatively very, very simple. Um, but the, the Labour Party and the Labour government over the last um, five or six years um have introduced a raft of changes to the brightline rules, which have made uh, the the rules now practically indecipherable and um and impossible to understand. and in fact, so much that um, that I, I you know I attended a webinar on this uh, a few months ago, and the the barrister, tax barrister specialist um on these types of things, giving the presentation, made a comment at the start that the Bright Line rules were now, in New Zealand, were now the most complicated piece of legislation in the country, by none. So, uh, I mean, something that started out so simple that, oh, you know, you can keep your family home, you don't pay tax on a gain on that, but if you've got an investment property um, and you sell it, make a profit. But, well, to introduced a whole lot of um, uh, carve-out exemptions, exclusions and, and other... Funny scenario is that really the you know the tax officials at IRD have written paper after paper after paper, trying to uh, advise on. I, I know that I talked to uh, accountants at Deloitte, and you know they really struggle to try and advise clients um, around around this area. Uh, and, and just this week, um, so onto the more current topic. Um, just this week, um, the IRD ha, ha, is, has decided to issue a consulting paper. And here it is. Um, Inland Revenue is now consulting on a on a inverted commas question we've been asked closing inverted commas which seeks to clarify the commissioner's view on how the main home exclusion to the bright line test applies when a person rents out a room in their home to a flatmate. The Law Society's Tax Law Committee will consider this item to contribute comments and submissions. Please email this person, etc, etc, etc. So. We've got to the situation now in this country with tax and tax law, um, Aaron Brightline specifically, that you own a house um, and it's your family home and you decide to get a flatmate to help you pay the bills, put the food on the table, petrol in the car, or just give someone a place to live, for goodness sake, in a situation That's right. we, Yeah, we, we might have actually have a massive shortage of rental houses, you know what I mean? And the ID has now got to um, issue a discussion paper to whether if you sell your house, your house that you live in is your main family home, part of it, the room that you rented out, is actually an investment part of the house. And if it's 10% of the entire house, maybe you should pay 10% of the gain on that sale. Who knows? I don't know. I'm not going to read the paper. But um, anyway, that's just where they're going with this. Uh, I, I think it's completely and utterly absurd that bureaucrats, tax commissioners, Commissioner Inland Revenue, winner, accountants who literally rub their hands together at this sort of stuff because you know, they just make more money out of it, um, but it just creates unnecessary work and, and bureaucratic um, you know, uh, regulation um, in, in a completely unnecessary environment, uh, in, in my view. Yeah.
0: It would make people very grumpy, wouldn't it, to think that could be something they might yeah. have to... Well,
2: more, more than just grumpy, if, if they issue... Because the commissioner, people may not be aware, the commissioner of inland revenue is extremely powerful. The commissioner can can issue directives on tax law and say, this is the tax law now. So the law says this, I interpret it like that, and that's the law. And um, you know, uh, the, the big law firms and the accounting firms take the IRD to court all the time, trying to challenge the commissioner's directives, um, thinking they're out of scope or they're wrong or whatever, um, et cetera, et cetera. So, for so something like this, um, you know, if the commissioner just decides that, well, if you rent, you rent out a room or two to a flatmate or a boarder, like you know, let's say you 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 do the horrible thing of actually putting an overseas student in your house, because goodness knows we need overseas students in this country. Trying
0: right? to milk the system again.
2: Well, you know, I mean, they were all locked out during COVID, in this country—it's the third biggest industry in this country, foreign student exchange, I think, right? So. Goodness, you might decide to have an overseas student from Korea or China or whatever in your house who who goes to university to study and want to get a degree and live here and move here. But, and and I know that, you know, you can earn $300 a week off that person, but you've got to pay for their food and everything else, do their washing, whatever. But um, the commissioner had to get involved to decide if you sell your house. uh, with that bedroom sort of, you know, how much did you earn from that bedroom over over two years while you, oh, that was, you know, $25,000, oh goodness should you have to pay capital gains tax on that twenty five thousand dollars part of your sale price. I mean, that's the state we've got to in this country with 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 this, this particular tax rule, and I just find it mind bogglingly stupid to be You'd
0: always offset it, Nick, with the washing and the and the food. Claim that back.
2: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, of course. I and mean, then what are you what are you expected to do? Keep the seats for that sort of stuff in a in a shoebox under your bed or something, you know? Yeah. My my point is this is it you know, um we do have a, a short of, mostly actually a short, I mean, we know we've got a rental crisis in this country because they changed. the government's changed the laws around residential investment property and a lot of landlords are getting out because it's now too difficult. That's reduced. That has reduced the supply of rental property. So if you're looking for a rental property and you can't get one but and you think, well, I'm just by myself. I can actually go, go flat with a mate down the road who owns a house, right? I'll just go live in his house, live in his, live in his room, pay him 200 bucks a week. That'll suit me. Um, you know, will people who own family homes now decide, actually, I don't want to do that, if it puts potentially the risk uh, of me having to pay bright-line tax when I sell my house, you know? And, and so that poor person who's looking for a, a, a place just to live might be excluded in the same way that, that tenants are now being excluded and perhaps the overseas students might be too. So mm-hmm. it really does create perverse incentives, if that's the way to put it.
0: No, I think that's the way to put it, yeah. All right. Interesting. Any last comments before we wind this legal hub up for this week? Now's the time.
1: Look, I think there's always things that you can do. I don't think people should feel like that, that all is lost or um, helpless or even hopeless. Um, you know, all of the MPs' emails are available online. Um, you know, write to them, tell them your concerns. It's you know probably much more effective than a Tending a select committee uh, meeting um on a bill you know but let them know and if it's a if it's a vote loser we know how sensitive they are they could be particularly powerful so, so that
0: needs to be done at some some sort of scale so they get a kind of an Avalanche effect coming through their inbox and the, that gets their attention right
1: absolutely absolutely this but, year's you know, election this
2: year's election year sorry think this is election year and they'll be trying to spread every get as so we know
0: yeah, but then getting, getting it done after that wears off is, is an interesting thing. But that's for another day, possibly. That's our legal hub for this week. Katie Ashby Coppins and Nick Kearney. Good to hear from you again. And I look forward to chatting again next week.
1: Thank you. Guys, right, thank you. Have a great morning. Bye bye.
0: RCR with Paul Brennan, Reality Check Radio.